Hello everyone, welcome to the Laura Horn Art Podcast. Today we are continuing on with the Redefining Success series and it's been absolutely lovely to get your feedback and comments on the interviews that we've had so far. So who's on the podcast today? Today I am chatting with Leanna Fisher. Leanna discovered her love of painting in 2013 when she left her job as an architect and moved from Virginia to Arkansas. While Leanna was in between jobs, she had a bit of time on her hands, or as Leanna calls it, white space. She broke out her watercolour paints and quickly realised that this was what she really wanted to do. In 2014, she opened her online shop, May We Fly. Little by little, one painting at a time, it slowly became her full-time career. In this episode, Leanna talks about building skills through rigorous practice, creating breakthrough products, setting up multiple income streams, and building a small and faithful audience. If you are thinking about starting an art business or you're in the early stages of your career, this is such a helpful conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. And before we do get started, I urge you to go over and check out Leanna's exquisite work and also her website. It's absolutely beautiful. You can find her over at maywefly.com and she's also over on Instagram at maywefly.design. And if you are sharing an Instagram story, and I have to say I absolutely love seeing those, make sure that you tag Leanna in the story as well so that she sees it and you can tag me at Laura Horn Art. Okay, with all that said, let's get straight into it. I'm excited to hear about all the different ways that you get your art out into the world because I went over to your website and the first thing that came into my mind was, Wow, I'm going to learn a lot in this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) So I'm thrilled and I don't want to um, go too far ahead yet because I feel that it's always valuable to hear a bit about an artist's background and how they got started Mm. making art. So that's where I'd love to begin with you. Well, I was actually born into a family of artists. My parents are both artist. My my dad is a fine artist and graphic designer. My mom illustrated children's books for a living. And they both worked from home during my entire childhood. And so they certainly nurtured creativity. Uh, They encouraged it. We had lots of opportunities to uh, explore and draw and paint in, in just a natural environment. We also were part of a group for a few years, I don't know if you have this in Australia, it's called Odyssey of the Mind. It's like a, I don't know how you describe it, kind of like sports, but for creative people. <laughs> anyway, you do these creative competitions. It's a group of kids on a team and it's, it's a really fun, very creative group. And, and so that really was something I loved as a kid. But, you know, as I got into my years, I, I, I fell away from my creativity a bit. I got into sports and school and, you know, the, the, the teen things. <laughs> um, and I didn't even take art in high school. I, I actually landed in a class called drafting, which is just technical drawing, where you're using a T-square and triangles and a ruler. <laughs> Um, and I, I actually really loved it. 
we were drawing random things like gears and, um, you know, things that aren't necessarily creative, but something about it really, I just found very enjoyable. And so I took it for about three years in high school. And the last year, we actually got to design our own house and floor plan, which I absolutely love. I mean, my house was horribly ugly, <laughs> but but it was a lot of fun. And, and so that very naturally led me into the field of architecture, which, which is what I did in college. Now, going into college, I, I assumed it would be like drafting 2.0 or something. And it, it was definitely not, which really was a good thing. It, it was a highly creative, very theory-driven education. We did all sorts of projects. And college is where I really unlocked my creativity, I would say, or perhaps remembered it. I just really fell in love with building models and thinking through these design problems and and doing all of these rigorous but very creative activities. It was like, oh man, this this is it. Uh, and so school, college was wonderful. But <laughs> I, of course, graduated, entered the workforce, very early on realized that working as an architect is very different <laughs> than going to school for architecture. I started as an intern, of course, which we all do uh, at the bottom of the totem pole, doing random little tasks, you know, <laughs> moving toilets around on a floor plan. And it was just not very creative. But I, I was holding out hope that maybe if I found the right office or if I advanced in my career, I would get to do more of that fun and creative work that I loved. Well, I get a few more years into working and it is not getting any more creative. And I, I'm looking out at my coworkers, at my, you know, bosses, and I'm noticing, you know, they're, they're not really doing that work either. And, and so there just started to become kind of this disconnect between what I thought I wanted to do and what I love doing. And, and I, I felt a lot of shame around not enjoying my job. <laughs> this was, you know, what my parents had paid for me to do. Um, it's what I expected I would do. But yeah, I, I just did not enjoy working as an architect. It was so different. That must have been very hard, given that you fell so passionately in love with it through high school and then followed that through right into college. So I imagine the, mm. that was where you thought you were heading. Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it was very hard. Uh, it was like a big shakeup in my life. And um, I was left just not really knowing what I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life, but I, I didn't know what else I really could do or even wanted to do. So yeah, in 2013, which was about four years after I graduated, I got married and shortly after my husband and I moved to Arkansas, which is where we still live, he was starting school uh, in a PhD program. And I suddenly, for the first time in years, had a little bit of white space in my life. 
And I was looking for new work because I needed to work, but I had time to kind of break out some paints again. I I had taken um, actually a watercolor elective class in high school and sorry, in college, in architecture school, learning how to paint buildings. (laughs) And I, I just fell in love with the medium watercolor. So I still had some little paint kits that I had from school and I, I got those out. And as soon as I started painting again, I was like, this is it. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is it. It's like a light bulb went off and I, re- I rediscovered my creativity yet again. And so really those first few months here in Arkansas, getting adjusted to our new town, I started painting almost every day. And even though, of course, I I still had to get a job, I continued working in architecture for some time. It was a major shift to where I was now working towards, I want to be an artist. And architecture is now supporting me in that pursuit rather than kind of floundering like I had Mm. been. How long after you started painting, did you realize that you wanted to turn the painting into your career? It was almost immediate, Laura. I really, it was like, oh my gosh, here it is. <laughs> like I've been looking for it. And, you know, I I had no idea what that meant or what that looked like. I didn't know anyone other than, of course, my parents <laughs> uh, who had a creative career I just knew I wanted to figure it out. So, yeah, that's really when my commitment to my creativity began. And perhaps more importantly, it's when I really started the journey towards uncovering my truer self, like my truest nature. So, anyway, that's kind of kind of the, the overview of how I got started. So, when you decided that the architecture job uh, would support you in becoming a full-time artist. How did that shift your approach? You know, it really helped me um, because it was the same job. I still didn't like it, but it was supporting what I had this longer-term dream of doing now. And in some ways, it was it was nice to have a skill like architecture because um, I could get a, a fairly good paying job. And, you know, I was actually able to go part time fairly early on in my working years because I had these years of experience and skill. So it really supported me on that that journey. Um Almost, it's like it was redeemed a little bit, I suppose, in a way, because it, it like became a partner almost more than just this thing I wanted to get rid of. And once you started painting on a regular basis, how did you go about discovering what style of painting that you wanted to do? And, and Because I mm. imagine that knowing that you wanted to make a career out of it, that would have been in your mind quite early on yes. that you wanted to develop yes. something unique that would stand out and that you could turn into a career and a business. 
Well, you know, early, early on, I did not even know what a market was or what what other people were even doing. It was almost a bit naive, honestly. I was so just enamored with painting again that I was in my own little world in a way. I can um, relate to that so much. <laughs> <laughs> I really can. It's really a lovely place to be. <laughs> I kind of wish I could live there, but it it did help me, I think, have a very natural start to finding my style because I wasn't really looking at what other people were doing right away. And so I I followed, I would say, my intuition as far as what I wanted to paint. I, I stuck with watercolor because that is what I had done and what I really loved already and was Um, already somewhat skilled at. And so I just started painting from my inspiration. And I really did uh, paint almost every day. You know, I have this kind of perfectionist side. And I don't, it may be influenced from my architecture background, too. But I really value craftsmanship. And I wanted to really gain skill with watercolor and know that I was using it in a way that was masterful and like expressing its best qualities. And so I was just very rigorous, I guess, in a way, kind of, I would repeat the same painting over and over until I felt like I got it. And I would also kind of start with one subject matter and do it until I I had a feel for it. And then move on to another one. And and honestly, that pattern has kind of continued my whole practice. I'm I'm always pushing myself into new territory to kind of get a little uncomfortable, I guess, and then find my way with it. So yeah, it was really just a process of lots of repetition, getting clear on what I wanted to do with my artwork. And having this rather rigorous approach to gaining gaining the skill with it. I love the way that you described it. And it's very evident when you go over and look at your website, you can see that craftsmanship in your work. And it's, mm. it's wonderful to hear about how much practice and repetition actually goes into developing that level of skill and um mastery Mm. over your materials and and how you do things. Uh, You mentioned in our emails that the the market for watercolour art is very saturated. And (laughs) I was thinking to myself, yeah, that is true. I feel like that with watercolour art. When I see it, it seems like I've seen a lot of things um, again and again, different artists but quite similar. And it can be a difficult area to stand out. Yeah, it really is. Now, I think it's, you know, the art world in general, of course, is always becoming more saturated. But watercolor, I think, was one of those earlier mediums, especially on Instagram, that I think really gained popularity early on. I, you know, I, I'm not, I can't necessarily put a finger on how I've been able to stand out other than 
that approach that I was describing of really gaining that that skill and and kind of painting in my own way. I really, of course, I highly value learning and training from other people, but I really have not done much of that outside of the first class that I took in college. All of it has been self-guided. And I think even though I'm sure it's taken me longer (laughs) probably to get to certain skills, I think because I've led that process a bit intuitively, I've developed my own way of doing it that I think, uh, you know, it has its its own unique flavor to it. So would you say that most of your learning has been through practical application rather than referring to ref, uh, not necessarily reference material, but I mean like classes and books and things like that. Yeah, it really has been. Uh, and that's, that's not necessarily what I recommend. Uh, I think there is so much value in taking, taking classes and, and learning from people who have already figured things out. But for some reason, that was just not what I felt led to do it it was like it was like I maybe a bit of stubbornness Laura (laughs) it's like I wanted to figure it out for myself and I don't know where that comes from but but I do think it has contributed to to my practice and to my my style and were you active on social media during this time looking at things or or not so much I started social media about two years in uh, to my painting journey. I, I'm sure I was on blogs and I think I was looking at Instagram pretty early on, but I didn't start my own account until a couple of years in. So yeah, social media is so, it's such a wonderful tool. I have been very grateful <laughs> that it exists um, as I was starting, especially I think it was 2015 is when I first got my account and you know, my photographs were horrible and (laughs) my work was not great, but I really enjoyed it early on. I I had a lot of fun sharing about my work and my process, but for whatever reason, something kind of shifted for me with social media. I don't know. I can't really put a timeline to it, but it's like over time, I found it more and more difficult to go on the platform without feeling like I was somehow failing at it, (laughs) which is so silly. But I just, I didn't see my account growing like I had had thought it might, seeing other artists who I love their work, but I was like, "I, I, I just don't know what I'm doing differently that anyway, there was just some frustration there. And of course, it is such an easy way to fall into comparison with others. Um, and that's always been a struggle for me. And it, it just increasingly became a less healthy place for me to be, especially kind of in those in-between years. And so I started to just get so caught up in it that it was becoming a distraction. Like, gosh, I would be in the studio and if I hit a hard part of my painting, <laughs> I would I would go over to Instagram because it was just 
easier, but then I would get into this loop of feeling bad about it. (laughs) Anyway, last summer made a choice to actually step away from it altogether for a little while. And, and that really helped me kind of hit the reset button a little bit. (laughs) Um, Because I think the problem is I, I just was striving after something and I, I didn't even know why it was like my business is is doing well at this point i i don't know why this is so discouraging to me my husband richie said to me that it doesn't matter where you are at with your instagram so whether or not you have 5000 followers or 50000 followers you always mm-hmm. seem to want more so if you're in the yes. bigger, you know, you have 50,000 followers, you're looking at people with 100,000 going, why haven't I got yes. that? It's, it's ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> like there is no end to it. You don't get to 300,000 followers and go, okay, I've arrived. No. I'm here now. You don't. <laughs> it's, you still you feel inadequate. <laughs> yes, that's the word. That's exactly it, Laura. That's what it was. And I, I reached that point where I just said, enough. <laughs> you know, literally enough, I need to be done with this mindset. But also, I have enough, I am running a business that I love, I have followers and fans who purchase art for me, (laughs) you know, it is enough. And so that shift and that that actual word enough has really helped me in the last really the last year or so, just have a a much healthier relationship with social media, kind of get back to having fun with it again and just not letting it have that power over me anymore. (laughs) I love the way that you described it too as as realising that you have enough, you don't need Mm. those numbers and those, um, you know, followers and likes and things like that because we forget what we already have. Let's talk about your business and what you do have because you have various different um, products and income streams and that's super important. And I wanted to focus this series on the very practical stuff because many people that listen to the podcast are artists that want to carve out a career, set up a business and it can be overwhelming to know what to focus on and what works, what doesn't. And for everyone, it's different, but it's helpful to hear from someone who has set up a business and is making a living from it. So can you, Mm -hmm. there's lots of parts to this, but let's start with, can you provide an overview of the various different parts of your business? So the income streams. I will go kind of in order of the proportion of income that it provides. Oh, kind of I'm, just in a in a list here. I'm I'm so um thankful that you are providing this because it's it's good to get into the nuts and bolts and we don't often get that opportunity. So thank you for sharing with us how you set your business up. Oh yeah. I think it's so important because yeah, like you said, this is overwhelming when you're getting started and it can be hard to find real information, <laughs> I think. To even have an educated idea of what to do. So I'm, I'm so happy to share. But yeah, in, in order kind of, of, of the, the proportion here, at the top would be my online shop paired with my Etsy shop. 
I'll just kind of go run through a list and then we can talk about any of them that you'd, you'd like. Next is wholesale. So I, I sell my products to various retail stores. Then I have licensing and that includes also, um, well, I should say passive income, which includes licensing and also print on demand, which is a newer revenue stream for me, but I have found some success in and it's been a lot of fun. Then I have teaching and workshops. And under that is kind of, I would say, the lower 10%, which is gallery shows and selling original artwork, doing custom work, and attending craft shows. Now, I will say this list has almost flipped (laughs) over my time running a business because when I was first getting started, craft shows and custom work were by far my biggest income earning sources. I have started to phase those out a little bit just because these other areas are working better for me now and are a bit more sustainable, but I still I still have my hand in, in pretty much all of those things. So you mentioned that your online shop and your Etsy shop are now at the top of the list. When did you set those up? I set those up right away. They have been part of my business almost the entire time, but they were probably one of the slower parts to grow. What happened, 2016 is the year that I I took the leap and went full-time with my business. And that year is when I created what I call a breakthrough product, which means that it was a product that kind of launched me into the next level. And there may have been um, a bit of luck involved with this, but I think if you have an inkling that you might want to start an Etsy shop or an online shop, finding a product that is unique and specific is helpful. And so what I created was a calendar. It was a botanical calendar and at the time, I maybe I was looking in the wrong places, but I had trouble finding a calendar that I just really loved. And so I just thought, oh, no big deal. I'll make my own calendar, which, of course, was like one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> but, um, that product, especially on Etsy, really took off. And I think it's because it was highly searchable and highly giftable. And it was in a category that didn't have lots of other competition. So for example, I also sell art prints and greeting cards, but I really on Etsy especially don't sell those hardly at all, if I'm being honest, because everyone has art prints and greeting cards. Not to say if you create a specific art print or perhaps a holiday specific card or something, it can definitely be found and and stand out. But I think finding a product that really, it should resonate with you, but it, it can also maybe hit this more specific category is how I've been able to really 
launch my online sales. That product alone, uh, my calendar has continued to be, uh, honestly, it's almost half of my online sales earnings every year comes from (laughs) this calendar that I do. I do a different calendar every year now. And the nice thing about it is, you know, my customers come back now year after year because they want the next year's calendar, you know, not to say calendar is the best product to do, but just as an example of the thing that really got the wheels turning with my, with my online shop was having a product like this available. And how did that product, that breakthrough product influence how you went about coming up with other ideas for what you would sell on Etsy or on your online shop? My next, what I would say, breakthrough product is more of a collection. I, I created a, and I don't, I, I wish I could explain how these ideas come to me, Laura. It's like, I have an idea and I just am like, oh, there it is, <laughs> you know? And I would say the next one was a collection of state bird and state flower artwork. And I did this actually as a 100-day project about two years ago. And I created all 50 state birds and flowers as a collection. And they did fairly well on my website, but it wasn't until last year that I put them on Etsy. And I think it was out of laziness because (laughs) there are 50 birds. And it was like a lot of, you know, listings to create. But those little birds (laughs) have really taken off on Etsy. And I think it's also because they are highly searchable and highly giftable. And so I I do think uh, something I've noticed about the way I like to work is that I do like to create groups of things, like collections of things. And of course, a lot of artists work in collections. But I think there's something to say for creating something that can be very cohesive and work together almost like it becomes like a stronger thing. It definitely has a stronger online presence and it's easier to market and things like that if you Mm -hmm. have a collection. It does make it easier. One thing I wanted to ask you because you are in the situation where you have an online shop of your own at your website which is called maywefly.com and you also have an Etsy shop so you know what it's like to run both. What are your thoughts on Etsy versus having your own website versus having both? You know a lot of artists for, for very valid reasons have stepped away from Etsy and I think it's because they do charge a higher fee uh, than than most website platforms charge. And it really can be difficult to get traction on Etsy. So the main reason I have stayed on both is because I have found these products I've been describing that, that really do work on Etsy. So it is, you know, running both can get a bit Overwhelming is too strong of a word, but it is a lot to juggle. So I would say don't start with both. (laughs) Um, And in all of this, I think it's very important that you start with one 
thing. And it can be whatever you're just most curious about or drawn to, I think. But start with one thing and give it some time to, to explore it, see if you even like it, and then add perhaps another thing. I like Etsy because it brings a, an audience that I, I can't bring myself. And so pairing it with my online shop has really increased my reach and it literally it, it it is almost equal to my online shop actually in terms of revenue so it is still a very important part of my business so i would say it's easier to perhaps get a product out in the world and sell it on etsy if you are starting from square one because they have their own audience that they will bring to you. But having your own website, I think long-term is still what I would recommend because you can really control everything about it. Um, And it will probably be a slower growth uh, with your online shop, but you will have full ownership of it forever. So yeah, it, it can be a lot to, to manage both, but it is working working for me and I still am grateful to have both. So when you started out, did you find that your Etsy shop had higher revenue than your online shop? It did. Now I will say neither one had very high revenue <laughs> um, at first, but yes, it, the Etsy brought some more traffic early on for sure. Yeah, because that's the tricky part and the dilemma, isn't it? Because if you haven't got a big social media following or, you know, whatever it is, YouTube subscribers or anything like that, how do you get people over and generate enough income to make it worth all the hours and effort that you put into it? And I really feel for people because often – they spend a lot of time mm-hmm. and energy setting up a beautiful, well-presented, elegant online shop, but there's no one there to see it. How have you gone about building an audience that is engaged enough and big enough without being huge, but yes. big enough to support yes. you as an artist? It can be a very discouraging process, especially early on. Yeah, you know, I I did really get my start with craft shows and that helped kickstart my little, small, but faithful audience. Um, I did get them on my newsletter, which started, I think, with 15 people. You know, I think it's hard to quantify how people find you. Certainly social media is is one way. I think with my business, the people who find me, for whatever reason, they become so loyal. <laughs> it's like they tell all their friends. And I have really gained many uh, people. People have told me they find me because a friend will share about, about it with them. I think natural word of mouth has honestly been a huge growth for me. The biggest thing, I think, is being a bit patient even if you have 15 people on your newsletter still sending it out regularly 
I was sending out, I think, a monthly newsletter for the the most of my years in business. It was last year, actually, when, when COVID started that I had lost my workshop income and a, a fair bit of my wholesale income. And I knew I had to increase my online sales in order to kind of make up the difference. And that's when I started a weekly newsletter. Honestly, I did not know what I would be able to talk about for (laughs) uh, every week, but somehow I managed to find something to share. And little by little, I was getting sales every week from this newsletter. And so I still struggled to know how people get on the newsletter other than word of mouth and social media. But I do know that those who are on my newsletter are highly invested. And they want to support me. They love my work. They're not just there to hang out. I'm not sure. I think most people who sign up for a newsletter want to be there, but they're very engaged. And so even though I do have a smaller audience on my newsletter, I think I think it's around 1,500 people right now, which it's all relative, of course. That is considered a smaller number, but it, you know, compared to 15, <laughs> it's huge. So they just keep me going. And I I try to nurture them with beautiful monthly wallpapers and little sneak peeks behind what I'm working on um, and some special sales and coupons or just my thoughts about things in general. So they kind of keep me keep me going. And I'm I'm so grateful for them. I I brag on my audience all the time. (laughs) They're wonderful. Yeah, there's a lot, to, a lot to be said for a small, engaged audience because quite a lot of these bigger audiences that you see, they're not that engaged. Like the engagement rates can actually be very mm. low. Um, so it's quite deceiving. And I remember years ago I had about 40,000 followers on Instagram, but I didn't have, mm-hmm. a, I didn't have a newsletter list. <laughs> I was so... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, like I didn't even have one. <laughs> And took me and uh, someone asked me for something that I'd been asked to do, you know, what are your numbers? And I'm like, zero. What? <laughs> and, um, and I remember starting and they're like, well, just start. And I, and I only, like you, I started and I had like 50 people or so and eventually yes. I um, built it up over time. So you mentioned that you started sending out a newsletter once a week what are some of the other ways that you connect with your audience? I always encourage my email subscribers to to reply to my email and connect that way. But one thing I have started, and of course, I couldn't do this during COVID, but I have a small studio space and I have started opening it up for quarterly or so, a few times a year, open houses. And this, of course, is only for my local audience, but I, I have wonderful attendance whenever I've done these. And I just absolutely love meeting my, my customers in person here in my studio space. That, of course, isn't available for everyone if, if you work at home, which I worked at home for years. But doing local events, craft shows are another wonderful way. Anything where you can really have an actual conversation with someone who loves your artwork, 
is one of the most wonderful, encouraging things that I think really builds a lasting connection. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I do feel, especially in the early days, that getting out into your local community is, is just one of the best things that you can do. Another big way, which I just remembered, <laughs> is workshops. Uh, I do teach workshops quite often. And of course, that's a whole nother group of people who are perhaps coming to you to learn something, but they may leave wanting to become um, a customer or just a loyal fan. So that is one more way that I've really been able to branch out of it locally, but also doing Zoom workshops and things like that. So finding a community, especially investing in your local community is wonderful. So you have quite a few different arms to your business uh, that you ran through before. I'm curious to know how you manage your time and your week and make sure that you're prioritizing the areas that you need to. How do you do that? It is so wonderful to actually be working as an artist, but it often comes with the wearing of many hats and it becomes increasingly difficult to manage your time. But something that really has been on my mind in recent years, kind of underlying how I prioritize and think about my future goals and and run my business is really understanding myself. I have done deep dives into personality things like the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and things like that, just to start understanding better how I work how I function. I honestly was kind of oblivious for a long time as to what I was even feeling in my body or like what my natural rhythms were. So anyway, all that to say, I have been trying to learn kind of what is a natural schedule for me based on how I tick. (laughs) So I try to really prioritize. Uh, now, this this is a pretty new development for me. I really have spent a lot of time in a fairly unhealthy pattern, you know, not exercising enough, spending too much time late at night working, things like that. I kind of have really shifted my priorities to where I am prioritizing movement of my body (laughs) and time in the studio, almost ruthlessly trying to eliminate anything I can that does not serve those two things. And of course, time with my family and friends. I am still very much in the process of this, but passive income is, is a big part of it. Honestly, I was standing in the studio one day and this idea just came to me. This was like two years ago. I want to pay my bills with passive income. (laughs) And this seemed like the craziest idea because I had zero passive income at that time. But anyway, what what I'm trying to say is putting things in place that are freeing me with time are really becoming essential. So I'm also starting to outsource a bit more of the packaging side of things with my business, with my online shop. So anyway, what I'm, what I'm really 
trying to do on a normal week is spend about half of my time in the studio painting. And that is what happens on a really good week. (laughs) But it will only happen if I do it first thing in the morning and I don't schedule anything else as a priority that day. Now, that almost always gets turned off somehow. (laughs) But yeah, painting time generally is my morning. Everything else, the administration, the packing of orders, planning workshops, writing emails, I try to push that to the afternoon. Um, on, and I, I have really a, a fairly rigid schedule, actually, as far as what I do on different days. That's a rather winding answer <laughs> to, to how I do things. But it came down to having to hit the reset button when I realized that I am not running a sustainable life here. <laughs> I, I need to figure out what my priorities are. And that's going to be different for everyone. But just even writing those out was a very helpful thing as I was thinking through this. And that then translated to how I, how I actually schedule my time. I love how you set a very specific goal around generating enough passive income to pay your bills because that really mm. grounds it in reality like it gives you something concrete to work towards right so what are some of the ways that you have increased your passive income and you might also want to touch on some of the efficiencies that you created you did mention before that you've outsourced packaging Um, what are some of the other things that you have done so passive income streams for me are licensing which I have only a little bit of experience with, but I do have about four licensing, I guess you call them clients. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I can send my work to and uh, various card companies and that will, uh, that produces either a flat fee or a royalty check that will come in fairly regularly. The biggest thing uh, in the licensing realm that happen and this was honestly out of the blue I do think there can be something about voicing what you want because this was so crazy but a company contacted me on Instagram and they wanted to license all 50 of my state birds which was just a big deal I honestly I didn't think it was real (laughs) at first but I I followed up with him They are a wonderful company and um, they sell state-themed products, mostly artwork. And so I get now a royalty check every single month from this company. And that is providing about half of that. This number I had in mind for my monthly bills is now coming from this company. It's kind of amazing. The other avenue, which I touched on, is print on demand. And this is a new category for me. Uh, I learned about it, I think, on YouTube. I was just putzing around and I came across a video about a t-shirt company that was doing this on Etsy. But I realized I could do this with my state bird. I set up the state bird as its own shop on Etsy. And I linked those products 
to a company called Printful. And they're a big print-on-demand company. So now every time I sell a state bird, they fulfill it and ship it to the customer. It has grown enough now on Etsy to where it is providing actually the second half of that passive income goal that I had. And so actually, Laura, last month is when I when I first hit that goal. It was about two years after I kind of spoke it out <laughs> into the world, but it wasn't really how I expected uh, it would happen, but it is happening through those avenues. That's amazing. So, Congre- um, I, yeah. I want to say congratulations because that's huge. And they oh, sound thank like, you. they both sound like brilliant things to have working in the background so that you can get back to that, that aim that you have of prioritizing your painting time. I think you mentioned outsourcing. I That is something I'm still very early stages at doing. But I, I do think eventually that will lend itself to more passive income down the road. And one of the things that you mentioned before was about how you had to do a bit of a reset and focus back on movement and looking after yourself and painting. Mm-hmm. It made me think about the whole sort of idea that I had with this podcast uh, series was to dive deep into what does success really mean? Like, what does it mean as an mm, artist? That is such such a good question. I think that success comes when you are anchored to your purpose. You know, I there is always a blend of hard work and and perhaps luck <laughs> when it comes to to building a creative career, but it has to begin from a place of truth and a place of trust, trusting yourself. So I, I think my definition would be a successful artist is someone who is living in line with who they are and blessing others with what they have to give. To me, there's really no other version of success Uh, The money, of course, is important, and it's a beautiful outcome of aligning yourself to your purpose, but I have been in a place where I let money become the main focus, and it only led to a frantic and frazzled way of living, and so I truly think letting yourself find that alignment is the key to having a successful career and and life as an artist. That's such a beautiful way to describe it. <laughs> so just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, what tips and encouragement would you offer to artists that want to make a career out of their art? My first tip would be to start with white space. And, and what I mean is, if you are the subject of your life, which you are, (laughs) you won't be able to actually see yourself if you don't create any negative space in your life, space to just be even for 10 minutes. I know moving to Arkansas was a very drastic way to create white space in my life. But without that, I don't know if I would have ever opened up my paints again or even given myself space to, 
to ask myself what I really wanted. That's where I would start. I truly think there is a slow and quiet way to build a business. I think it it just takes um, a commitment to your creativity and then very tiny but faithful steps nurturing your creativity as you go. It's hard when you're so ready to be working as an artist. It's just not time yet (laughs) or you are putting your work out there and it's just not selling yet. But if you can stay faithful and patient, I, I truly think that in time it, it comes. And then when it comes to your own artwork, I think it's so important to notice what is special and beautiful about your own life and simply share it. You don't have to come up with <laughs> the next revolutionary idea. I think you can really just look look around your own life and just share that with others. And and finally I would just say if you can find a creative friend or a creative group to walk with you along this journey, it is such a, a gift to have someone else to share your ideas with and your struggles with and um, who can really understand what it's like because it, it can be very difficult. And so it's good to have other people supporting your journey. They are all such wonderful tips. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us all today. And I want to wish you every success in your art business and in your life. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Laura. And thank you so much for, for the work that you do. I think you model this for all of us and you are just our brave and gentle guide (laughs) as we go so thank you so much for doing the work that you do and and again for for having me on today it's been such a thrill to talk with you wow there was so much in that episode i hope that you found it helpful and encouraging and i just want to mention in case you missed it at the beginning of the podcast you can find liana over at maywefly.com and also on Instagram at maywefly.design. Next week on the Redefining Success series, we are heading to Sweden and I'm chatting with mixed media artist Jenny Grant. And I hope that you'll join us for that one and that you have a wonderful week.